to the Dunning Pod with me, James Dunning Pod. And I know I always say I'm excited about this week's special guest, and I really am. But before I introduce him, let me first have a word from our sponsor. Our Delling Pod sponsor, Thor Holt, has taken a vow of silence in January. Thor is letting his clients talk today. The first client is the owner of a multi-award winning Scottish IT firm. Managing director Cheryl says, Thor is like Marmite. Love it or hate it, he's honest, authentic, funny, clever and super talented. We have laughed and cried and he is just amazing at what he does. If you need help with strategic presentations, I never go anywhere else. I feel fortunate to always have him in my corner. I hate Marmite, but I bloody love this man. The final client feedback note is a company owner who employs Thor as a non-executive director to help him aggressively scale up and then exit his Yorkshire-based business. He says, Thor, you're underselling yourself. You do what you say on the tin, but better. You've absolutely turbocharged me, properly stoked my fire. Read 80 more client recommendations for Thor and connect with him today at linkedin.com forward slash in forward slash Thor Holt. Now to my special guest, Clifton Duncan. Clifton, I'm really glad that you are here on the podcast. And before we say, I'm famous for not doing any research, but you very kindly sent me uh, a talk you'd given to one of the, the Mises groups. So I, I do kind of know all about you, but just give us the sort of the, the short version of your story. You're, you're, a, you're an actor who, who is effectively destroyed his own career by taking a principal stance against the vaccine. Yeah. So essentially, uh, you know, I'm Clifton Duncan. I, um, classically trained uh, actor went to one of the top conservatories in the country and I worked, um, just about for a decade, um, to, uh, position myself to be, um, a singing actor of note in New York city, which is very difficult to do for those who know the industry. But, um, 2017 things began to really take off for me and, um, I was doing television off Broadway on Broadway and, uh, you know, doing quite well. And then 2020 came along and everything shut down. I was based in New York City. And, um, you know, from the beginning, um, at the beginning, I was very much uh, in, in the Covidian cult. And uh, but as the year wore on, um, I began to have lots of questions and thought that, that this is the wrong way to go. And then at the end of 2020, I contracted the um, the illness. And, um, from that point on, uh, man, uh, vaccine mandates went, um, they, they went wide across the industry. They're still in the industry, and uh, which means I effectively cannot work. I lost my manager. I lost my voiceover agent. Um, I can't, uh, I, I went from uh, up and coming to, uh, to absolutely nothing. So that's sort of the, uh, my story in a nutshell. I can imagine. I mean, th- this, is, this is serious what you did, because I- I'm looking at you. And I'm hearing the way you speak and stuff. And you're good looking, you're poised, you've got a good speaking voice. I think you must have cost yourself a lot of a lot of money. You you could have done really well, I suspect. You're not just some crappy, crappy two bit, no talent. Um, well, you know, the, well, the thing about that is that I recently posted a video of myself uh, singing a song called This Nearly Was Mine from the, uh, the Rogers and Hammerstein show South Pacific. 
Um, and it was a nice way to sort of signal to everybody that I'm not just some random person that you're referring to. I actually have uh, the chops to do what I'm talking about. Yeah. And, um, you know, so it, and, and in a way it works to shame the industry and what they're doing because they're at a time, ironically, and for those who are not uh, watching, I, I happen to be a black American. So at a time when the industry is embracing, uh, you know, wokeness and diversity hiring full on and going full on into this um, anti-racist religion, um, I'm not allowed to work at all. It's it's um, it's quite bizarre. It's been it's been very uh, difficult, to say the least. Yes, you are. You are the wrong kind of black, because obviously yeah. part of this, <laughs> this this kind of world we live in. It's not enough to have the right skin color. You've also got to have the right set of beliefs. Otherwise, you get sort of un unblacked, don't you? Yeah, yeah. I said uh, that. I'm. I said, uh, you know, I don't know why uh, there is any debate as to whether or not transracialism exists, because obviously everyone knows that um, any black person who votes for the Republicans instantly becomes a white person. So of course, there's transracialism. It's it's, it's already a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Tell me about the bit, the bit of your career where you were a, you believed in the Covidian religion. I mean, how long did that last for? Um, for about three months. So, you know, and the irony is that while everyone else in the U.S. was focused on Donald Trump's first impeachment, um, the it was the YouTubers that I was listening to um, that were saying, hey, there's something going on um, in, uh, you know, out of Wuhan. And now it's in the Middle East. And now it's uh, it's hit Italy and France and Spain. And now, you know, and um by that time, this is a very New York way of beginning this sentence, but I was even talking to my therapist about it um, in January. You know, I, I would come to her office, which was in Chinatown, ironically. Um, you know, I'd have my masks, my mask on, my gloves on. I mean, I was one of the few people uh, in New York. It was like me and like some middle-aged Dominican women who'd be on the train, uh, you know, wearing surgical masks and, and gloves. And we were, we were ridiculed by people. Um, and then, of course, you know, two months later, it, it became all about, uh, you know, wear your mask, wear your mask, wear your mask. I remember one person specifically uh, just he saw me with a mask on in public as, as I was about to get on the uh, the subway. And uh, he and he goes, you know, the people who wearing the masks, they must be the ones that got it. So that was kind of sort of the attitude at the time. And, uh, you know, I'm stocking up on canned goods and medical supplies. And even at that time, uh, I remember I spent about an hour when one night in lower Manhattan walking around to every convenience store and pharmacy that I could find, trying to find surgical masks. And they were already sold out at that time. So I had to pay like $75 um, for a box of 50 masks, which, by the way, had printed on the box because they don't want to get sued um, that these masks don't stop any viral transmission. Um, but, you know, I was warning my friends, sending them statistics and pestering them, telling them to get prepared. And, uh, you know, it, it, I, I was... I probably freaked out my roommate because I was walking around in what I called my hazmat suit and uh, and just obsessively um, uh, disinfecting any knob or handle and surface that we had uh, in, in our apartment. Uh, I took it very, very, very seriously. That's, you, you've, you've kind of gone some way to answering a question I was going to ask you later on about your about your journey and why it is that you get what's going on when... 99.99% of people, particularly in your world, the, the acting world, the entertainment world, have been absolutely bloody useless. I mean, um, I'm not sure whether the journalism's any, any, any better, but yeah, definitely I would, ex I would expect little sense from the entertainment industry. But it's interesting that you were, you were obviously frequenting the kind of websites and stuff which 
which were already reporting the stuff coming out of Wuhan, the stories about Chinese people collapsing in the streets, the kind of the, the more edgy stuff about how if you analyse the, the composition of the gases being released, do you get, do you ever get this one? Right. Yeah. The, the, the crematoriums in, uh, in yeah. China. Yeah yeah, yeah. 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 Of course. <laughs> See, you were already, I have to say, Clifton, you were already with me slightly down the alternative rabbit hole at that time. And I was like you, I, I mean, I didn't, I didn't go full mask, but I did, I did. I was one of those people who thought there's some really bad shit coming our way and no mm. one is aware of this yet. We need to prepare. I mean, my form of preparation was doing things like looking for stocks to short. I, I, I shorted <laughs> a cruise line and, 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 and made $10,000 out of it. But, but I did take precautions. I mean, I, I, did, I did believe for a time, especially I think my peak fear, probably maybe it was the same with you, the stuff coming out of Italy the stories about the, the, the hospitals, you know, with sort of patients on the steps because there was no room in the hospital and stuff. And I thought, wow, this is the big one. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, well, the irony is that, um, well, for one, I haven't owned a television since uh, 2009. So I think that sort of saved me in a way. Yeah. Um, and I, I became what I guess you would call red-pilled in 2014. So I'd already had a healthy distrust of oh. the press and the media. And... Um, so, you know, I, I stopped watching TV. I, would, I was already sort of, you know, addicted to YouTubers and everything. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was, but it was, what's interesting is that, you know, actually having access and actually having a, a more uh, diverse array of friends and opinions, you know, like I had one friend who, you know, she sent me a couple of articles, one of which was the op-ed uh, in the Wall Street Journal by Johnny Anitas uh, back in March 2020, who said, you know, this thing might not be as uh, deadly as they're saying it is. And at the time I was annoyed, but because I respected her opinion, um, I kept the sort of door open. And um, then as, as time wore on, um, it just, things began to make less and less sense. And um, it seemed as though, and this is where the sort of sensitive artist soul in me comes out. I said, everything that we're being asked to do in order to mitigate the spread of this virus seems to be completely antithetical to, ha to living a healthy, normal, vibrant life. And, you know, why are we, you know, what are we doing to our children? Why are we being asked to cover our faces? Why are we being asked to, you know, to isolate ourselves completely? And uh, especially when it, you know, there, there's data that came out that uh, things like stress and anxiety and depression leave one more susceptible uh, to to infection. And so, you know, it's 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 like it's, it's as though over time I began to sense that everything that we were being asked to do was the opposite of what we should have been doing. And um, that was sort of when I, I began to say, hold on, something is really weird here. And also as a New Yorker. Um, I was watching what Andrew Cuomo was doing very closely. Andrew Cuomo, for those who don't know, is our disgraced former governor who um, who his approach to to mitigating the virus involved uh, the usage of nursing homes. And, um, you know, the the allegation is that he caused tens of thousands of needless deaths um, with this executive order, which said that uh, people could not be discriminated against based on whether or not they, you know, tested positive, something like that, you know, and um it just it just sort of spiraled out from there. You know, there was an article in the New York Times that came out that said, you know, it was this sensational headline about how the death, the New York death toll climbs to over 10,000 after 3,700 deaths are added to the total. But the thing is, the subheadline said that they were presumed COVID deaths, meaning these people were not even tested. So 
immediately I said to myself, well, hold on a second. In a, t in a time where we need as much information as possible to ascertain just how deadly this thing is, why are we making guesses? Why are we making assumptions about this thing? Um, and then, you know, later on, you know, we, uh, we had the hospital ship that was sent over by, by, uh, by the president at the time, Donald Trump, which was barely used. We had several, um, several makeshift hospitals, which were, you know, converted, you know, big buildings, which are also barely used. And, uh, so all these indications were that, uh, the thing was not quite what they were making it out to be. And yet the, the restrictions not only persisted, but in some cases they were, they were increased. So, um, it, it, it over time, it began to dawn on me that something was really weird. And then I moved to Atlanta, um, which is in the, the American South in June of 2020. And, you know, calling it the difference between night and day would be an understatement. Um, you know, in Atlanta, I mean, the strip clubs were open, bars were open, nightclubs were open. So basically, you could get a lap dance at Magic City, but you couldn't go see a Broadway show. And um, it, it was it was so bizarre. And there weren't any mass deaths. And you know, and you know that if there were, I knew that if there were, because I looked, it would be all over the news. And it just wasn't. You know, it, it was it was so bizarre. That's I didn't know about Atlanta. Um, well. Sorry. So, well, no, well, no one's talking about Georgia. Georgia has had um, lax restrictions since April of 2020. And uh, I think there was an Atlanta, uh, an article in the Atlantic that said, you know, Georgia is experimenting with like mass death or whatever. But, you know, down on the ground, um, it just it wasn't as big a deal, although the more Democrat an area was and the more affluent an area was, the more seriously they took the virus. But then you had these absurd, these absurd spectacles where. You know, you could go to the gym and be mask optional, right, while the gyms in New York were closed. But then the Starbucks across the street w would require you to wear masks. It, it, you know, there was it was such a schizophrenic kind of kind of thing. And um, it, it, that really cemented for me that uh, something uh, something was very amiss. Right, right. The, yeah, the, there was a, a wildly different um, a, a big difference in the uptake among white whites and blacks, wasn't that? The, the Absolutely. Tell Absolutely. me about that. And and well, well, here, well, here's the thing, you know, and this is why these uh, these vaccine mandates, um, you know, and people, oftentimes people, especially I guess if they're more uh, right leaning, they they don't like to. Um, they're sick of the racialization of everything. Yeah. But what makes everything, um, what makes it all so alarming and and bizarre, is that at a time where the political left, especially in the United States, is going full on into wokeness and, 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 um, and diversity. Um, meanwhile, you have black Americans who are the least vaccinated demographic. And part of that, you know, I, like I would be, so I had a job at a nightclub, right? And I would have patrons come up to me who would say, you know, you know, Marvin Hagler, the famous boxer, you know, he had that vaccine, right? You know, Hank Aaron, the baseball player, you know, he had that vaccine, right? DMX, the rapper dies, you know, he had that vaccine, right? And so, you know, I, I, it's you can't the, the strange thing about the Democrat Party in the United States is that they spend generations, literally generations, convincing black Americans that every institution in the country is united against them in anti-black sentiment. And yet they expect black people to then turn around and line right up to get these shots in their arms, even though we have, you know, a, a history of racist experimentation and medical experiments on black people, which which quote unquote liberals and progressives would pay lip service to and then say, well, you know, they still deserve, you know, they, they just need more education or, you know, whatever happens to them happens to them. <clears throat> Excuse me. And, you know, the biggest irony is that uh, 
I think in the minds of a lot of people, the only people who were rejecting these uh, shots, um, which I refuse to call vaccines, uh, who were rejecting these shots, um, they, they have a picture in their mind that it's a bunch of knuckle-dragging, redneck, hick, hillbilly Trump supporters. But black Americans vote over 90% Democrat, and yet they're the least vaccinated demographic. They, 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 can, they, they have no idea. They, I still have not seen one person honestly address this issue. Yeah. The theory, I think, in, in, in this country, uh, and I wonder whether it, it gels with your own thinking on this, um, is that black people as a, a sort of community are more suspicious of, of, of government because they've been dicked around by the state. Much. They, they, they don't think the government is their friend. They don't think the police are their friend. So they're, they're more disinclined to take this product, which they're told is good for them by the government. Is that, is that right? Well, that's, that's pretty much the idea. Um, in fact, you have, um, you know, rappers such as Common, uh, you know, who has lyrics in a song about this is why we don't trust your vaccine. So it, it, like I said before, it's just bizarre to see that the complete 180 of people who, who will indulge um, black hesitancy regarding our various institutions and yet then expect them to line up. And the irony, you know, that from a health perspective, um, the comorbidities that are more prevalent uh, among black Americans um, would ostensibly lend them. Uh, it creates a stronger argument for, for a higher vaccine uptake within the community. But at the same time, we still ain't taking it. Yeah. So, you know, you, you have to you have to come to grips with that, honestly. And, and the fact that they impose the government imposed these gov these employers imposed these uh, these mandates, which were life destroying, um, not to mention school closures, which uh, which had a disproportionate impact on our children. Um, it's, it's just unconscionable. So you've you, you've you fled New York for Atlanta, um, which must have been like, well, uh, you must have felt so relieved to escape from that that claustrophobic hell but just tell me a bit about about what it was like living in new york through the the vaccine tyranny because i, I mean i've i've grown up watching films movies about made by new yorkers about new york and they always come across you know i think of the ernest borgnine character in escape from new york for example the taxi driver and you know that they're, they're no nonsense people who just just get on with things and, and we love New York. We're great. We're the tough people. We don't take any shit. And, and yet they became these kind of vaccine panty waste, didn't they? They, they would allow themselves to be tyrannized by their, their governor. Well, I didn't, I didn't, uh, I wasn't there for the, the vaccine tyranny, but right. the, you know, I, this is why I call it the city formerly known as New York. Right. You know, it, 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 it New Yorkers have this idea of themselves, this opinion of themselves, and no one else is as, is as impressed as, with themselves as New Yorkers are. Yeah. Um, they have this idea that they're smarter, that they're more cultured, that they're more educated, um, and just better people than everyone else. And I think people have to understand that if you live on the island of Manhattan uh, during 2020, there was, there was no escaping from any of the propaganda that there was this big, scary pandemic going on. You would walk out of your apartment door. There would be arrows on the sidewalks telling you where, you know, what direction to walk in. There would be circles outside of various institutions telling you where to stand to maintain social distancing. There, you know, if you wanted to go to Trader Joe's to get groceries, you had to wait like an hour in line because they were only letting in a limited number of people um, in the dead of winter, by the way, which is, you know, nice for the immune system. Um, 
you know, there are, there are placards on buses and taxi cabs. There are digital announcements um, on the subway. There are, there are, you know, in various languages, signs everywhere. So there was literally nowhere you could turn where you weren't being terrified in some way and reminded that, that there was some deadly virus um, um, in the air. So in, in a, on one hand, you know, I do have some sympathy for people. You must understand that people on the ground were propagandized uh, into yeah. imbecility in a way. Um, but it, it, it just blew me away that New Yorkers who, as you were saying, tend to be very no nonsense, but they're very nice people. Like if you need directions or something or you need help, like it's easy to stop somebody be like, Hey, you know, can you tell me where to find yada, yada, yada? Um, you see lots of great human moments, um, among people because they're such a crush of people. Um, but that so many New Yorkers just complied unthinkingly with all of these measures. And then on top of that, you have people in the entertainment industry, particularly actors who yeah. view themselves as, um, you know, we're, we're, we are rebels against the status quo. Well, the status quo determined that they're not essential and they agreed. And I'm thinking to myself, you, this is Broadway. Broadway is one of, you know, New York city is one of the cultural centers of the world and people come from all over the world to see Broadway shows. We are, we are central, not well, maybe, but we are, we are very important to the identity of the city. Our arts institutions yeah. are very important to the, the identity of the city and they bring in big money. And yet these so-called artists who were so passionate about their field allowed themselves to be uh, rendered non-essential by, you know, idiots like Bill de Blasio, our former mayor, and, you know, Andrew Cuomo and Anthony Fauci. It was really unbelievable to watch. That, that, that's been the biggest thing for me is that I can't believe that New Yorkers who are so supposedly tough and smart and sharp and, uh, and you know, the, the, and have a sort of an F you attitude completely retreated into fear and, um, and, and distancing and isolation. It was just so bizarre to watch unfold. Yes. No, I, I, I noticed something similar happening in, in the West End in, of, of, of London, you know, which is our equivalent mm. of, of, of Broadway. Right. And I noticed these, well, Andrew Lloyd Webber, for example, who must, you know, derive quite a bit of his income from, from, from the West End. And he was, he was somehow a, a not fighting this stuff. He was, he was going along with all the mass tyranny and all the vaccine tyranny and stuff. And you go back to the Second World War, there are stories of, of you know, the plays carried on running in the West End. There, are there was mm. a time when the Café de Paris got, got hit by, by a bomb and there was a band playing at the time. The, 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 London was famous for its blitz spirit, for carrying on despite the risk of being, of being dying because life was more important. And yeah, so what you're describing is, is, is shocking. Well, can, the, I, can, I add to that? can I add to that? That, yeah. the, you know, the, the idea of the show must go on. So, so our union, our actors union for, for stage actors, Actors Equity Association, I know, I know they have equity over in the UK as well. Yeah. Um, they sent out an email in 2020 saying that the, uh, the adage that the show must go on is uh, outdated and unjust, by the way, so that they put a racial component in, into it as well. And what really irked me, I mean, I, I, I came out of conservatory um, in 2009, right in the midst of the recession at that time. Um, despite the fact that the industry is, is uh, they're saying that it's racist, um, you know, I have been encouraged my entire performing career since I was 16 um, to continue on in my career. And, um, but one of the biggest things is that, you know, especially if you're a New York theater performer, you're not doing it for the love or, or, the, or excuse me, for the money. 
Um, but there's this idea that, you know, there's a certain toughness, a certain grit that you have. Um, and we as performers, you know, we have an obligation and a duty to our audience, AKA our public to, you know, put on the best show possible. And, um, you know, Stella Adler, the famous acting teacher, um, once said that she never even got a headache. So our, our health, our strength has always been, um, the, you know, the pride and joy. You can't do eight shows a week, whether it be Hamlet or Hamilton and not be in tip top shape and have great conditioning that, you know, at that level, you need to have that kind of conditioning. That's part of our job. And so for these people to just sit back and say, you know, to, to allow their industry to be taken away from them. Um, I, you know, it's, it, it was really, really, uh, frustrating to watch. And I will say, speaking of a, uh, speaking of Andrew Lloyd Webber, uh, you know, I, I gained some respect for him because he was at least, at least at some point stood up and said, we have to open shows. We have to do shows. Um, but here in America, the Phantom of the Opera, one of the longest running shows on Broadway has had to close. And so this has been the, the consequence of, um, of their idiocy, their, their, uh, their, their Covidian uh, cultism is that now, you know, every couple of weeks, there's an article that comes out about how audiences have not returned to pre pandemic levels and, uh, you know, shows keep closing. They can't keep them open. And, um, anyone with two brain cells to rub together, you know, would have told them this would be the consequence of a alienating swaths of people, both your foreign and domestic audience by imposing these ridiculous, uh, COVID protocols. Um, you know, and, B, your programming is just way too woke. Nobody wants to watch this nonsense. You know, uh, mixed martial arts isn't having this problem. Football isn't that well, American football uh, isn't having this problem. Um, the NBA isn't having this problem. You know, it's it's the, uh, the entertainment venues and the arts institutions in New York. They just they persisted in requiring, you know, uh, masks and vaccines and boosters uh, for entry for a lot of people. And people have been turned off uh, completely from generations of people, by the way, have been turned off from the arts. You know, if we'd been doing this podcast in 2019, we could have we could have had a really good discussion about woke in the arts and how it's destroyed everything. And, you know, I mean, all the all the, all the crap. But I've I've come to the view. I don't know about you since 2020 that woke is just a distraction from the, from from the bigger from the bigger picture. For example, I, I, I've noticed that I've been very disappointed by a lot of my journalistic peers, people, people I, I used to admire for their outspokenness on issues. And they've used woke, you know, oh, yes, I'm really angry about pronouns, or I'm really angry about diversity casting, and, and you know, the political correctness is everywhere. And you're thinking, yeah, you can be really brave on this stuff. But when it comes to calling out the biggest infringement on, on um, freedom, in the in the life of anyone anyone around or probably ever there's never been such a concerted war on human freedom as i think has taken place in the last mm -hmm. in the last two years and they're weirdly silenced about it do you, do you think that as well well i do think that there is a um, i mean i i sort of have been loath to use the term woke to apply it to everything uh that said these people unironically refer to themselves as woke so it's yeah. not necessarily not a, a, a an unfitting description um I think that um, I think the if you take the problem beyond wokeness, it's maybe it maybe has to do with this idea of collectivism versus individualism uh, on, on yeah. a broad scale and um, people who value maybe have a pathological obsession with safety and inclusion, um, uh, making sure everyone is taken care of. 
uh, versus people who understand that there are risks that come along with freedom um, and, and an open society, but that those risks are preferable to a society wherein everything, where we must, you know, constantly focus on the, the, the care and safety of others, you know, because everyone has different needs and yada, 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 which, you know, it completely eradicates the needs of the individual. So maybe the, you know, getting to your point in your question is that uh, the wokeness is a symptom of a bigger problem. And yeah. that was expressed. And, you know, I think there's, it's not, it's not an accident that the people who tend to abide by, uh, by the woke religion, so to speak, also are still hook, line, and sinker um, with COVIDianism. They're sort, of, they're sort of two branches from the same tree. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think so. I've got to ask you, by the way, you mentioned you were red-pilled in 2014. What was your, what was your um, <laughs> moment? So um, I think it was kind of gradual in a sense, but really exploded in, in 2014. I mean, in 2009, I was just out of, uh, out of grad school, out of conservatory. And um, I had gone through a horrible, horrible breakup. And I found myself, I stumbled upon this book called uh, No More Mr. Nice Guy, which is like the first unabashedly pro-male uh, book I'd ever read. And I turned page after page and I thought, I was like, wow, I'm reading about myself on each of these pages. And so that book was the, was the catalyst for me not being ashamed of being a man. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and you know, our industry is very, very ca caustic towards men and masculinity in general. So that began my journey of sort of diverging from popular opinion in many of our arts uh, and entertainment communities. But by, t but by the time 2014 came along, um, I don't know how I ended up stumbling down these rabbit holes, but I do remember that a, there was the whole, um, if people remember the, uh, the Michael Brown incident in the United States where, uh, the slogan hands up, don't shoot came from. So for those who don't remember this man in Ferguson, um, Missouri, I believe the state is, um, was gunned down by a police officer named Darren Wilson. And the allegation was that, um, you know, that was that, uh, uh, what, uh, Michael Brown, you know, had his hands up, he's just an innocent kid and he was surrendering and the cop gunned him down in cold blood, but the forensic evidence and, uh, you know, and surveillance evidence, you know, footage, um, supported the story of officer Darren Wilson, but yet you saw all these politicians, all these media personalities, um, you know, go along with the narrative of hands up, don't shoot. Some of them are still doing it to this day. Um, and I'm like, dude, even the Washington Post had diagrams from the medical examiner hired by the family of the deceased who determined that there's no way that this narrative is true. At the same time, um, around August 2014, there was a controversy you may have heard of called Gamergate that, that erupted. Yeah. And, um, you know, and it was one of those things where I happened to be in the right place at the right time. And I, I saw that how it ballooned outward from just starting as a sex scandal and Internet drama. And it, then it became this, you know, this big culture war kind of a thing. And what really, you know, I can't go into the, the intricacies of, of Gamergate because it's too complicated to get yeah. into. But what I saw was that as a secondhand observer, I saw myself who understood where the Gamergaters were coming from. I saw myself referred to as a as an angry, privileged, cis white male. And, uh, you know, and so I would have these ar these arguments on people with Facebook who were just so confident that uh, Gamergate was about keeping women out of gaming and it's about, you know, the, this, you know, it's about anti-feminism and yada, yada, yada. I'm like, guys, it's complete nonsense. And it was also a, a glimpse of how quote unquote progressives, they treat um, dissenting opinions. They, they shut them down. They never even, you know, entertain these, these opinions, no matter how reasoned, no matter how logical, no matter how polite and civil you are. Um, 
they also shut down any dissenting opinions from racial minorities, sexual minorities, and women who um, who disagree with the, with the, the the larger narrative being being pointed out. And I think maybe the most important thing is that I saw the difference between how the mainstream press reported on the on the issue versus what was actually going on. And I think that was the point where I said, okay, we can't believe any of this stuff. And then of course, Trump gets into office, everyone loses their minds. I, mean, I didn't vote for him, but the, the reaction to him was just so insane. And, um, you know, and I could see like, guys, they're blatantly lying. Like you don't even have to make up stuff to criticize about Trump. There's plenty, there's plenty there already. Why are you making stuff up? Um, so, you know, that, that was sort of my, my beginning of, um, you know, I had this sort of internal ideological shift uh, away from this idea um, the sort of uh, feminist idea, which was then sort of parlayed into an understanding of via the Mike Brown incident, how racial racial grievances are um, are stoked uh, for political power. And um, then then you see how the sort of progressive cabal operates in terms of stifling opinion and just reporting on complete absolute nonsense. So that was sort of my, my red pilling. I guess I'm sort of fortunate that that happened. Well, as you know, once you've gone down the rabbit hole, you, there's, you there's no it. turning yeah. back. There's no yeah. turning back. In fact, what you do is you find ever more rabbit holes and you, you find yourself going deeper. So if you were red-pilled, because <sighs> yeah. like, what you're describing there is kind of entry-level stuff, isn't it? Realising that, <laughs> that what we're told about feminism is, 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 is not necessarily so. But then there's, there's another level where you start, start realising that actually feminism are you now are you here yet that feminist the feminist movement was actually funded by our dark overlords in order to bring women into the tax base basically to so well, they could the, make more money well there's that theory but i mean well you know there's that but there's also uh, you know and i found this innocently there's a show called the scottsboro boys that came out uh, about over a decade ago and in the course of my research so for those who don't know the background in 1933 in uh, scottsboro alabama these uh, nine black boys who ranged in age from 19 down to 12 were falsely accused of sexual assault by these two white women. And it was complete nonsense. But this case galvanized the nation and even garnered international attention. Um, some say that it was one of the catalysts for the uh, civil rights movement, which is interesting because but then in the course of my research, I learned that the Communist Party um, had taken a very keen interest in the racial politics of the United States. So. You know, and, and I've related to what you're saying about feminism. Um, there is this um, idea that it's sort of a Trojan horse, right? These these sort of identity politics are Trojan horses yeah. in order to usher in um, other things which have nothing to do with um, their stated purposes. Yes. So, so you know, in terms of economics, I totally get where you're coming from, and I understand that. And um, you know, and what's what's the, what's the term? The um, the paradox of declining female happiness sort of bears this out, where you have women now. Who are self-reporting uh, levels of unhappiness, which did not, you know, which which are higher now than they were in the 1970s, even though their their opportunities and, and sort of rights have expanded. Um, you have one in four women, I think, are now on some sort of anti-depression uh, anti-depression uh, depression uh, medication. Um, yeah. You know, so it's like, guys, you know, if, if everything's going so swimmingly for you, why are you so miserable? It's uh, it's it's very interesting. And then, but the the, the big rabbit hole right now for me that I, that I don't want to go down is about vaccines. Yeah, yeah, well, well, fine. I mean, <laughs> it's just, it's, it's, well, sorry. I was going to say, because every single person, and I will say one of the silver linings about um, the last couple of years is that 
so many people have been have been sort of awakened and had their eyes open. And yeah. so many of these people, um, there's a lot of people from many walks of life who, because of their, they've seen how the this particular quote unquote vaccination campaign has rolled out and how these particular shots have been sold, that now they're not only questioning these vaccines, they're going down the rabbit hole of every vaccine. And they always say to me, oh, ho, ho, you haven't you haven't gone down the rabbit hole yet, have you? You know, so it's 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 there's a lot of stuff there that I'm like, oh, man, really? Oh, bloody dog. Sorry. Hello. <laughs> Annoying dog. In my... Yeah, it's not your feeding time yet. It's not. Oh, it's, it's in... Actually, I must. Re- I'm going to release it because it's just jumping up at me. And... Oh. Well, we love our canine friends here. While so James is away, while James is away, I'll plug my own podcast, the Clifton Duncan Podcast, which can be found on YouTube and Spotify. Now he's coming back. <laughs> it was even worse, worse earlier on, Clifton. It was actually it was farting in my office, and, and it's really cold here. And I had the choice between having my window open and freezing, or having it closed and suffocating. Anyway, the, the, the dog is now being is is, is being fed. Um, I forgot what we were talking about. Oh, yes, that's rabbit right. Holes. So, are you saying that you haven't yet gone down the rabbit hole, which might lead you to being called an anti-vaxxer? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's it's. Um, I don't know why I'm so hesitant, but but you know, for I've had I've been criticized actually by by uh, anti-vaxxers because you know I, I I've given interviews where I where I say you know I'm not one of these like sort of crazy anti-vaxxer yeah. people, but then they're like, oh well, if you're calling us crazy. Then you obviously have not, you know, done your proper research yeah, or whatever, and so, yeah. Well, that, well, it's 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 that, and also just sort of, you know, just sort of ignorant. And there is a very, I think it speaks to this very powerful, um, the the power of social um, social pressure, and um, and I I one thing I don't understand is this sort of this cultish zeal to protect any and all vaccines. I mean. You know, I'm of the opinion that uh, you know vaccine critic criticism and skepticism in the short term, in the short term, can lead to greater transparency and safer vaccines in the long term. And um, but yeah, it's just funny because everyone's like, oh, oh, it's not just this one; it's like all of them. Okay, okay. <laughs> spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! They are right. But here's the thing: I, I, so I was listening to your to your talk, um, your Mises talk, and you were uh-huh. saying. Uh, and I totally agree with you, by the way, that one of the great things about the last two or three years is that you and I have encountered the most amazing people, the most True. amazing people that we'd never have we'd never have met otherwise. And they come from all walks of life and they're just united by one thing, which is that they believe in the truth, however unpalatable it might be. Mm-hmm. And they're well, I mean, they've got other things in common They're they're fearless. They don't they don't take take shit from authority. I mean, it's, it's been great. But the the corollary of that, the downside of all these people, all these, the, the, it's like herding cats. Because of their nature, because they are the kind of people who don't, you know, who are determined to go their own way, and, and it's required a certain bravery to do so. They're very, they're very insistent that they know what the right way is and that everyone else mm. can, can, you know, go, go stuff themselves. So you get this problem where the, the, I, I suppose it's further down the rabbit hole than you, you know, Oh, I, I was red pilled back when Kennedy was assassinated. So I, you know, I know so much more about this than you do. And there's, 
you've you've had that with the anti with with, with the anti vaxxers. They think that you're a lightweight, which which you are. I'm afraid on this subject, <laughs> <laughs> they, because because you haven't gone all the way. You haven't gone down that particular rabbit hole fully yet. But you will. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's 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 inevitable. It's only a matter of time at this point, um, you know. But I, I think I still hold on to this idea that um, you know I I want to be viewed as respectable, which is ironic because these people obviously, given the their behaviors over the past couple of years, um, they've thought nothing of telling me that I should be a second class citizen among or worse um, because of my refusal of this one uh, particular particular shot. But I do think that there is. What 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 I tend to do, I, I've noticed in myself. Um, I mean, like I'm an atheist, for instance, and I went really, really hardcore into it, and very, just very much um, a dick about it. And uh, but I've I've walked that back, especially considering that in the past two years, the Christians in my life have been far more even keeled and far more uh, and much more of a force of positivity than these crazy secularists. But I I do think that. Um, you know, or, you know, I went sort of deep down the anti-feminist rabbit hole before I kind of scaled that back. Yeah. Um, so I, I think maybe people, what happens with people, like I know one guy um, uh, who went total sort of anti-vax, like just anti-vax, you know, and I, I think I think there, there's a point where maybe people go to the extreme, maybe they return to the mean, maybe I'm sort of um, um, projecting my own sort of stuff here. Um, but I definitely know there's a time where it's like, oh, I have this this degree of special knowledge that you don't have and yes. um, versus sort of being humble about it and saying like, yeah, you know, like there, there's a guy online, for instance, on Twitter called the real truther. And, you know, he, he's dedicated himself to just, you know, exposing misinf- misinformation and, and taking down anti-vaccine, like misinformation or whatever. We've kind of become frenemies now because he, it's, it's, it's like because he sort of understood that, you know, it's not that I'm against all vaccines or whatever. You know, maybe that won't last for long. But, you know, he, but he's like, I see that you're sincere in your beliefs and, you, and your biggest problems with the mandates. And I have come around to be from from um, having more. I won't say extreme opinions about about uh, these particular shots. I mean, you know, some of the stuff out there is, um, I mean, there's theories about, I'm sure you know, the mass depopulation. There's like creatures living inside these things and so on and so forth. Um, I've, I've gone more towards like, you know, it's just not for me. If you want to take it, I mean, that's on you, but I'm not going to tell you whether or not to take it. And I, I'm, I just don't feel like fighting about it anymore. And so maybe, you know, I'm trying, maybe I'm trying to be safe. Maybe it is cowardice. Maybe I am being a bit of a pussy as you're implying. Um, but I also <laughs> no. don't, you know, want to be, I, I think it, extremism in any form, I don't think is, is really good or healthy. I, I was only jokingly calling you a pussy. I think, I think what you've done is, has already, you, you've already displayed, I'm, I'm going to give you Maybe not a Congressional Medal of Honor at this stage, but I think you've definitely earned a silver star at, at, at least. Oh, I thank you. No, you, you've, 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 you've done what everyone in the acting profession should have, not just acting industry, but everyone in the media industry, everyone in, in the, the medical industry. What they should all have done is saying, I am not taking this experimental therapy and can, until it can be demonstrated, one, that it is it, it is past all its safety procedures, and two, that it's necessary in the first place. And most people failed that, that basic test. It required courage, particularly in your industry. To, because, I mean, you, I imagine you quite like being on the stage. <laughs> you, I, you know, I just, um, 
it's just what I, what I do. You know, some people, I say oftentimes, some people build houses, some people build computers. I build characters for whatever reason. You know, I'm not one of these people who saw some musical when they were like four years old or something and, and decided for themselves, I have to do this for the rest of my life. It's sort of, you know, I sort of fell into it. And, um, over time it just became part of a big part of who I am and what I do. Uh, you know, I never got into it to be any kind of activist. It was just, I'm good at this and I enjoy it and it keeps me out of an office and I'm, and I'm making, I'm making a decent living at it, which most people can't say that about themselves. Yes. So, um, it was a, I was very privileged in a lot of ways. And, um, one of the big disappointments, and I alluded to this before is that you have all of these people who they present themselves as though they are, you know, and you know, this is sort of another podcast entirely, but this idea that these people have completely turned back on their beliefs. Um, it's an industry that's very like, it's very anti-capitalist, very heavily Marxist. Um, it, it, before 2020, it seemed, we understood that the pharmaceutical industry was not to be trusted. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and yet all it took was enough, uh, this, you know, propaganda blitz to convince all these, um, supposed warriors and revolutionaries that they yep. need to fall in line. And I think the biggest disappointment for me is um, people who, I mean, like it's one thing I have some compassion for those who are genuinely afraid and, um, and are acting out of fear. But then there are those who know that I'm right, who agree with me and they'll tell me so in private, but then publicly they'll post about, Oh, I'm so happy to be back at this show and I'm doing this now. So they get to keep their careers. You have actors who are, uh, they're using fake vaccine cards, you know, and people who are just straight up lying. Um, and for me, I, I'm at a point where I'm like, I don't think I can ever trust any of these people ever again. Um, you know, based on how they've, how they've behaved. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think, I don't think of myself as some sort of courageous or brave person. I just, I just said, no, it's not for me. And if you don't like it, that's your, that's your right, but just don't, uh, infringe on my ability to earn for myself. And I mean, it's life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, all of which I was accomplishing, uh, during my time in the entertainment industry. And, um, they've, they've not only ruined that for me and for lots of other people, I get messages from people who, um, you know, they are, are driving trucks now for the first time in their, in their forties after working for two, you know, two decades or whatever. Um, there's also people who, you know, parents, who reach out to me and say, yeah, my child has been studying for ballet or theater since they were three or four years old. And now they can't be in the industry or they can't get into, into their favorite school. So there's been generational damage, um, to the reputation of our arts institutions and, um, all because people just either through group think a combination of group think and cowardice just haven't said anything. And, um, I don't know how the ship will ever write itself. It's, it's going to take at least a very, very long time. Yeah. Um are you saying that that even now, in order to to work in the acting industry, you've got to be jabbed? The or... mandates are still in place. The uh, Disney has has been the only company that dropped them. But right now, I mean, there is nowhere. I, I do hear that people are auditioning and finding work here and there in in some of our regional theaters. Um, but generally speaking, there is nowhere I can work um, in the entertainment industry um, at all because I my because of my refusal. And this is this is in, in an era, by the way, where the CDC, who these people continually pass the buck to. Um, has, has said there's no point in distinguishing between uh, vaxxed and unvaxxed people. Um, the military has just dropped their vaccine mandates. Um, so many people have moved on, but it's just, it's deep blue America for some reason. 
they're they're stuck on this and and in the the arts and entertainment industries fields um which are very very quote unquote progressive which you know obviously they're not yeah. um they they they're sticking to it they're just they're going along with it they're, and they keep on persisting with this and it's just it doesn't make any sense and it's frankly embarrassing but so not even in atlanta i mean if you wanted a job as a kind of um a pole dancer could you do you have to be jabbed for that <laughs> well i mean no of course not i mean well, you know it's 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 a different uh, it's a different industry although ironically acting. Although ironically, well, I guess, but, but ironically, uh, though, our, our, our union, the Actors' Equity Association, is now representing strippers. I guess, they're, I guess people aren't paying their dues as much, so they need some extra money to keep, right. the, to keep the whole thing afloat. But no, it's, you know, and, and it's ironic because there is so much, I mean, lots of the Marvel stuff, for instance, shoots down here in Atlanta. There was a film shoot just the other day near my house. So I have to walk, all the, walk past all that all the time knowing I can't be a part of it. And I, I don't want to get into the, oh, you know, why me kind of a thing. But people ask me all the time, well, what about Atlanta? It's the same thing. It's the ideology. Throughout the country, there is this, this thing. Either you're talking about community theaters, regional theaters, or Broadway, uh, or TV and film, where you, you cannot work if you have not gotten or you can't show proof <clears throat> of, yeah. of vaccination. It's just that well, they, 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 won't, they won't let it go. So how, what percentage are, of actors would you say, who are still working are using fake? How, how many bought fake passes? Oh, I have no idea. Uh, I haven't looked into any of that. I just, you know, people just tell me, you know, I just got a fake one. You know, why don't you get a fake one? I'm like, well, because I'm not a liar. <laughs> yeah, sure. But uh, yeah, the, I don't know the answer to that question. And, and there have been some high-profile actors who seem to have been damaged by by vaccines. Well, actually, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of Justin Bieber, who's not really an actor, but he seemed to get vax side effects. And Celine Dion, I think, died, didn't she, or something? No, no, she came down with some uh, illness. I mean, you know, I think part of the part of the issue right now, though, is that uh, now everything's being attributed to, to, to the shots, which um, I don't know if that's very helpful, but I know there was an actress who put out a video where, you know, she had palsy, half of her yeah. face was paralyzed and she was crying about it. And she still said in the video that she would do it all over again. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, so again, you get a glimpse into how these people are kind of captured by this, you know, Covidianism uh, as, as I, as I have termed it. Um, I, I'm, I, you know, there's speculation that certain Broadway performers, um, whom, whom I won't name, um, yeah. have been damaged, and um, you know, and it's it's impacted their careers, and uh, they may have difficulty and never work again. But um, you know, and you hear, hear stories. Um, I mean, I have a friend who's um, a her daughter, who was uh, 20, 21 years old, was uh, blinded by a childhood vaccine in one of her eyes, and she still um, could not get an exemption from the mandates in the industry. So now she's working on a farm somewhere delivering goats for a living. Um, and then, but her older stepbrother um, took one of the Johnson and Johnson vaccines. Um, and within 12 hours, he suffered cardiac arrest and died. It's on his death certificate. And this is a guy who worked for like Saturday Night Live, the Colbert show, um, the Lion King. And apparently, you know, for the Lion King, they just took his stuff um, and, and left it uh, out of his locker and just left it for his father to come pick up. His father is also not, not vaccinated. This, you know, this, uh, eminent sort of scene designer who, you know, master ex you know, master with expertise. Um, they wouldn't even allow his father inside the theater to collect his, his dead son's belongings. This is how ridiculous, um, it has been this entire time. Do you, I reckon, because, because I think they've relaxed, uh, did you mention they've relaxed the ban on, 
the, the requirement to be vaccinated in the military and, and so on. I think they're gradually, they're gradually um, withdrawing their restrictions. Uh, but would you even want to go back into this industry? Um, well, that's what I mean. You know, I, it, it's really, it's really difficult because I literally went from one year having legends in the industry, you know, tell me that you're amazing. You know, one woman asked me, uh, and, you, and I said this in the speech at Mises, I said, you know, she, she goes, how, why are you not famous yet? Are you an asshole or something? Um, so I went from that kind of, um, of, of praise and, 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 you know, and anyone can just look, you know, Google me and look up, you know, my, my uh, resume or whatever to people saying that, you know, you deserve to uh, be a second class citizen and not, and not deserve to work. And, uh, you should be denied medical, you know, care and yada, yada, yada. So, you know, to your, directly to your question, my knee jerk response is no. Why would I want to work alongside people who have exhibited such little foresight, such little critical thinking skills, um, who allowed themselves to violate each and every principle that they, they claim to hold dear, um, in order to protect themselves from a virus with a, a 0.2% infection fatality rate, um, which is highly survivable, highly treatable. They just are too ignorant to understand any of this because they, all they do is listen to the TV and, um, yeah, we come you know, to study. I, they are actors. Don't forget Clifton. I mean, well, well, here's, well, here's the thing, James, because it, it shouldn't be like this, right? The, the, in the classic sort of acting texts, like from yeah. Stella Adler, like I mentioned before, who's Marlon Brando's teacher, um, Uta Hagen, um, you know, they stressed the importance of actors being educated, cultured, um, having an understanding of, you know, cause we're, we're, we are, we need to know, you know, literature. We need to know cultures, history to understand, you know, just the human condition, uh, over periods of time. We should, we should theoretically not be as dumb as we are. Uh, mm -hmm. but I often joke now, you know, one of my issues, my main problems is that maybe I'm too smart to be an actor, but, uh, I'm not smart enough to do much of anything else. So I'm kind of stuck. Um, you know, but it's just, it's just, uh, it's astonishing to watch. I don't know why I'm so surprised, though, to be honest. Well, and now you've taken this public. Now you've got profile as a, as a kind of rebel against the, the, the vaccines. Uh, I wonder whether you might get on set, you know, people might be nasty to you um, if you ever went back. They'd sort of, you think? Probably. Yeah. You know, I mean, again, and this goes back into this... Um, how wokeness and all this stuff's kind of folded in. They're, they're just branches of a larger uh, tree. Um, you know, there, there is a group of conservative actors who, you know, that they meet in secret. They literally meet in secret and you can't talk. It's like fight club. You can't ever talk about them. Mm -hmm. The group is invite only. And they're all terrified. They are terrified of being outed for their political beliefs yeah. um, because they know it's going to damage their career prospects. So it's a very, very real um, problem in the industry. And it's like, you know, it's not as though people are talking about, you know, Jewish conspiracies or whatever. They're, they're just, you know, it, it could be something as basic as, um, yeah, I think the climate alarmism is a bit overblown or yeah, you know, I think, um, men and women are different, yeah. <laughs> you know, and now Dangerous. these are grounds for you to get to be, uh, you know, to be canceled. You, you can't say these things publicly. There are actors who are already established, um, who, you know, who it's pretty obvious that even if they haven't said it, uh, said it explicitly that, you know, they are not, on the spectrum of, um, of, you know, progressive wokeness or whatever. Um, but the thing is they're already established. And so they have a little bit more leeway, um, to air their opinions, but even then, you know, they don't really get that much into it. I mean, I think, um, like Denzel Washington, for instance, one of the greatest actors of all time. Um, it's obvious to me that he is a more conservative minded person. He talks about family. 
Uh, he believes in God. You know, he's, he's just one of these people who, you know, he, he's expressed a healthy skepticism of the press. Um, you know, that there's just so many things where I'm like, this dude, he's a conservative. I bet he votes Republican, but, um, he won't say that up. He won't say that publicly. Um, I know Kelsey Grammer is another guy who, you know, leans, leans that way. Yeah. Um, Sylvester Stallone is another one, but these are all people who are established, you know? Um, so they can afford to kind of, I mean, like a Matthew McConaughey can go on Jordan Peterson's podcast. He can go on Joe Rogan and suffer no consequences because he's got his Oscars already. You know what I mean? Yeah. But what about people who are less known, who are up and coming, who are younger, um, and, and more interested in like exploring different sort of ideas. That's, that's what's exciting to me about all of this is that I didn't even know there was a way, another way to think. I mean, before we got on, I was reading, um, I was reading uh, Hayek and it's just, it's so, it's like, it's like a feast of just new ideas and, and exciting um, ways of thinking to explore. And it's, it's a shame to me that people who should be the most open-minded among us, that being actors and artists, you know, um, have turned out to be some of the most closed-minded authoritarians you could imagine. And um, what they're really doing is they're starving themselves of such a rich, rich um, panoply of, 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 human thought and idea and, and just, I mean, it's exciting to me, but, uh, apparently not to these people. Yes. What I, I was thinking about, um, were you reading the, the road to serfdom or one of his other ones? Yeah. I'm about halfway through it. And then I have, uh, the constitution of Liberty, uh, right after that, that I'm going to start on. Just, just the thing that struck me reading Hayek, um, was he makes no distinction. He, he thinks there's no meaningful distinction between Nazism and communism. He just says, this is all collectivism. They're all they're all the same, and I think he's right. I think it is. Th this this is the eternal battle. The collectivists think that we are unfit to decide our own destinies, and they want to they want to make you know a, a, this narrow elite wants to make rules for us, and they always have done. They despise us, and we our job is to resist. Yeah, and there's also this. Um, I mean, and I. And I I'm familiar more with that mindset from reading Thomas Sowell, uh, but you know, it's this idea, you know, the vision of the anointed, um, you know, the, or a conflict of visions. You have these people who they have, you know, the, um, what does he call it? The, uh, the unrestrained vision of, of life where, or, 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 or of humanity where, you know, this, they sort of value the knowledge, even the definition of knowledge is different for them, but the knowledge in terms of this sort of pseudo clergy of people who can dictate to all of us, you know, what's best for us versus the, the accumulated wisdom, uh, from, of the ages and, and of the masses, um, which is more straight, which is more, uh, shared by those with a constrained vision of life. Um, what I enjoy about Hayek right now is that for, at least for the time being, he's helped me in deep, more deeply entrench, um, this idea of myself. I mean, I self identify as a liberal and, um, I, I, I love how Hayek talks about, you know, the corruption of language on the left, where now in America, at least you have people who call themselves conservatives, even though they have more liberal leaning principles, either be, be that economically or socially. And the people who call themselves, you know, liberal tend to be more uh, authoritarian and want to place more power in government. It's been a, it's a complete corruption and bastardization of the language. Um, but um, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it is, um, that push and pull between what I, when I'm terming, I'm, I'm beginning to call idealists versus realists. You know, the idealists say we should have healthcare for all. And the realists are like, you know, that's nice, but how do we pay for it? Um, you know, it, it's, and I think that in a, in a utopian society, which, you know, it's no place, um, those two forces would, would be 
checking and balancing each other because, you know, everyone has blind spots that they, that they don't recognize. And, um, I think we, you know, there's value in, in listening to those who have different opinions about this kind of stuff. Um, but right now what we're suffering from is that, you know, you have a very small concentration of people in academia and entertainment and, and, and journalism who have one specific worldview but they have a, a disproportionate uh, ability to get their messages out there and, um, and influence the masses. And, um, that's kind of what the issue is now. I know that kind of straight away from your, your point about Hayek, but that's kind of where I, uh, yeah, yeah. A second. I, I was thinking, Clifton, you, you've got this, I, I, I can describe it as a glow. Maybe you've got, it's the lights. <laughs> yeah. It's what I mean is that, that people who have freed themselves from the matrix, I, I never get any sense that they regret their decision. That 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 there's a sort of aura of of confidence and and and, and joy and and excitement and a sense of of, of purpose. Do, have you found that since you you escaped the matrix? Well, given the events of the last couple of years, I, I have to confess that a sense of purpose has uh, eluded me thus far, and that's been very difficult. But I will say, and uh, yeah, I have a friend named Carrie Smith uh, who people might know um, she came out as a liberal who voted for Trump and um, and she used to also be in entertainment she was a manager for comedians and when you see pictures of her from that period in her life she's dead behind the eyes she looks miserable and now she's just she's the sweetest most bright um, vivacious person you could imagine and part of it is that especially as a minority a racial minority you live in this um, environment where everything is oppressive and everyone's out to get you Mm. And, um, you know, the society is broken. Society sucks. Um, versus once you get out of that and you see, okay, you know, I call it, I call it the anti-matrix actually, where, you know, in, in the film, the matrix, the people who are in it, you know, they can enjoy their red wine and their steak and everything's fine because they're ignorant of the true reality of their situation, um, of their existence. But yet now in the anti-matrix, you have people who are in the matrix who are going freaking insane. Um, increasingly, whether it's Trump or COVID or the climate or whatever. And people on the outside are like, yeah, you know, life isn't perfect, but it's not that bad, <laughs> you know? And <laughs> yeah. on top of that, it's like, you know, I think about someone like a, um, like a Jordan Peterson, for instance, who has inspired me, you know, to read, you know, Solzhenitsyn and to read these Russian novelists and to explore, you know, all these great works of art. And, you know, I'm finally, or Victor Davis Hanson, the, the, um, the conservative scholar in the U S he's. He has a great video um, talking about the importance of, of um, Greek, uh, Greek classics. And um, so now I'm finally going back and reading all that stuff I should have read mm. um, in my actor training. And it's and again, it goes back to this idea that there's just this wealth of wonderful, wonderful material, um, just a, a, a feast of um, exciting ideas and frankly, interesting people. Um, you know, I, I think one of the blessings uh, of the past couple of years, maybe this is part of my glow, is that uh, I now have a network that includes, you know, scientists, economists, journalists, writers, I mean, all kinds of people, um, you know, with differing opinions. Um, but there's so much more interesting and be way smarter than uh, than my former um, my former colleagues. And that and that to me is really exciting. I just wanted to put you, you've, you've got me excited because I read the. Iliad and the Odyssey for the, for the first time, shamingly, in, in the last couple of years. And I was thinking, how did I not read these, these formative texts of Western civilization before? They are, they are fantastic. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, Prometheus Bound, I read that. Um, I, I started on um, 
I started the Odyssey and I was like, oh my God, if I had read something like this when I was a young boy, yeah. there's no telling, you know, how deeply inspired I would have been, you know, you know, and just it, it, this epic tale of like these gods and, and yeah. this, this big journey. I'm like, it's so, it's so engrossing and it's so rich and the language is just so full. I mean, I'm a big Shakespeare fan anyway, so I'm a big fan of just of great language, but it's just, you know, the size, the scale, the scope of, of all of this, you know, you go back and read, um, you know, Aristotle and all these other people like these, these people had a, like a lot of it figured out thousands of years ago. Mm. And, um, you know, so in a way it's sort of like maybe a rebirth because you're experiencing things for the first time and, um, and you realize, wow, you know, humanity has accomplished such great things. I mean, one example I can think of, I was really depressed. I was doing a play in 2010 and trying to figure out like, why, what's the point of all this? I don't know. And I had a mentor at the time who said, he just kept repeating to, to, to me, go to the museum, go to the museum, go to the museum. And finally I took him up on that advice and went to the, the uh, national gallery of art in Washington, DC. And, um, when you see the works, um, I mean, I, it, it was the sculptures, especially that really got to me, you know, like the Pieta or something like that. And you see, mm -hmm. and you, you walk up close to these marble, um, statues where the skin look, you know, the flesh looks like flesh and, you know, every single hang and fold of the clothing and, and, you know, curl of hair is, is etched in marvelous detail. And like, you're like, you're like, I can't believe that someone had the vision, the, the discipline, the, the gift uh, the imagination um, and the dedication to put this out here. And now here I am hundreds, if not thousands of years later, just in awe of it and moved to tears by just the, the scope and the power of, of the human drive for creativity and creation. I mean, it's, a, it's such an amazingly powerful thing. And if you live a life where, I mean, a big part of the left is, is cynicism and nihilism and you have to deconstruct everything and you have to be all postmodern, yada, yada, yada. And I mean, that has its uses in, in some aspects, I think, in terms of trying to see things differently and kind of question everything. But if you go too far down that uh, rabbit hole, so to speak, um, it removes you from just the wonder and the splendor and beauty and, and the awe, frankly, of, uh, of what, um, of what humans can accomplish. And so I think maybe the glow from people um, is this recognition that uh, sure, humanity is flawed. We made a lot of mistakes and caused a lot of problems, but we're also capable of just great transcendent, you know, works of just miraculous beauty. And, and it's very life affirming in a way. Well, Clifton, I, I'm going to make a prediction. Um, I, I know you're an atheist at the moment, but it seems to me that you're on a, a very similar journey to the one I was on a, 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 a few years ago. <laughs> and I think once you start asking questions like, well, where did this stuff come from? I mean, for me, truth, beauty are manifestations of, of our creator. But I mean, I, I, I don't want to, I don't want to sort of push this no, stuff. No, no, James, James, it's so funny to me because I, I, I am of the mind that I, I don't think I'll be, you know, I'm going to be, you know, necessarily a God person, but part of my journey over the past couple of years, right. Has been, um, it, it's been, can art and artists, um, can the work that we do create the same, create experiences, which are akin to the kind of religious or divine experiences that people feel like they feel that they um, experience, or can we, do we have a, is there a spiritual realm? Because in this, in this era where we think, you know, we're so advanced, we have all this technology, we're so rational and logical, but clearly and scientific, so to speak, clearly it's not enough. It, it's not enough in terms of the dimensionality of human beings. And, and I think for me, my, my, my central question right now is trying to find um, 
what that connection is between, you know, the spirit, the realm or, or the soul or, you know, these larger sort of transcendent questions or maybe energies, I don't know. And, and what artists do. And, you know, I think about when you read about great performances and you read like the great, um, sort of the great acting theory books, you know, from the past. And they talk about how, when you have a performer who is operating at the peak of their imaginative faculties, mm. a we there, there's like an electrochemical impact that, and it, and it, and it touches all of us. And that's when they're operating at, you know, at their peak level. And it's like, what if that peak level is close to godliness? You know what I mean? So it's, it's those kinds of things. And people are, are talking to me like, yeah, God is talking to you. It's yeah. a matter of time, you know? So, and I'm not as offended by it as I was like, you know, 10 years ago, mm. um, especially in the wake of people like, uh, like Sam Harris, who like, who put himself on my radar by attacking dogmatic beliefs, but only to become a dogmatist himself. And it's like, well, that's disappointing. But, uh, it is, it is interesting that, uh, you know, it, it's a recurring theme. I'm not offended by it. And, you know, and, uh, and I understand where you're coming from, but it, it is funny. So maybe, maybe you're right, but I'm not sure, but, uh, that, that, that is definitely, um, uh, on my, on my plate right now, it's just this, this relationship between creativity and imagination and, you know, maybe the divine spirit, I don't know, God, whatever, how, or the universe, you know, however people might, might define like godliness. It's really interesting. It's, it's, it's nothing to fear. And, and, and in, in a way, you're, you're, what you're going through now is, is, is very much what, what I, I went through. It's, it, it's what it is. It's the missing link in the, in, in the puzzle. Mm. Because once you start asking questions about where does, where does, where does the muse, the creative muse come from? How is it that, you know, right. when I used to, to write novels and I, uh, you know, there was stuff that was coming in there that was like, didn't, that felt beyond my capabilities, that was nevertheless sort of transmitting itself through my fingertips onto the, yes. on, uh, the and, and, and I'm sure it's the same with, with, with acting, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to push it because I think, I think you're already going there anyway. T so tell me, um, how do you make your living now? Well, I was waiting tables. You know, I, the, the big joke is that um, what you normally do is that you wait tables until you make it. I made it, then I started waiting tables. Um, but I quit that because I just couldn't stand it. So, you know, right now, you know, I, I mean, I've, I've, I'm doing like audio books here and there. If anyone, uh, you know, has anything they want me to read, uh, pay me and I'll do it. Um, you know, it, it, I'm starting to move more strongly into content creation, um, which is, um, you know, which is starting to, to provide some, some uh, dividends, so to speak. Um, and you know, that's really sort of where I want to, I, I do think that I've always wanted and, and the older that I got in the industry, the, the more I resented the fact that there's so little control that you have. And yeah. now I'm in a place where I have, you know, all the control that I want. So, you know, I would love to be able to make a living, um, you know, doing podcasting, writing essays, um, you know, I posted, like I said before, a video of myself uh, singing and uh, it got a really, really brilliant response. So, you know, more of that kind of content. And I love that we live in a world now where, you know, you, you can put out your, your work and your ideas yeah. and um, people will pay, you know, and, and it's not just, you know, you don't need big donors or sponsors. I love, you know, people will be like, you know, I'm on, um, I'm on a pension or fixed income and only have a few dollars, but you know, I like, I like what you do. So here you go. And you get enough of those people and you can do well for yourself. And to me, that's sort of a more, it cuts out the middleman yes. of being an entertainer because you know, you, you, there's no agents, there's no production companies. I get to, I get to communicate directly with a following. And after I posted that video of me singing, you know, I had lots of people who said, you know, I followed you for your political commentary, but I didn't know you were this good. 
And uh, so I'll, I'll support whatever you do. And that to me is, is really heartening because A, it says to me that there's a vast, vast um, audience out there of people who, um, contrary to the opinions of, um, of these a-holes who are cloistered in, uh, in blue meccas or, 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 you know, these blue urban metros, um, the, the sort of unwashed, uncouth masses that, that, they, that they think there are, are out there are actually really, really, really um, starving for the kind of work that we've been talking about in the past few minutes. And because, um, you know, you don't need like an Ivy League degree, uh, you know, or an especially high IQ to know if something is good or not or whether or not you like it. Yeah. And that, that's sort of the, the magic of what um, of what we can do as a performer. So right now, basically, I'm between jobs, but I'm, I'm trying to find uh, make up a new job. And, um, you know, it is what it is. But um, and, I, and I'm sort of going by by instinct and by gut and trying to figure stuff out. Um, but, um, I've got some good people and good advice and it seems to be working out, um, slowly, but surely it's, it's kind of coming together, which is nice. Brilliant. Well, where can people find, find you? Ah, well, I, I, you know, love to get this opportunity to plug myself. Yeah. I think you um, should. But, uh, yeah, so I, uh, I have a podcast called the Clifton Duncan podcast. I made it easy to remember. You can find it on YouTube and uh, on Spotify primarily. I'm having an issue with my Apple account, so I can't get it on there. I don't know why, but uh, that's there. Uh, my YouTube channel, Clifton Duncan, same thing. You can find me on Twitter at uh, at Clifton A. Duncan. Um, I'm on Instagram, but I, I rarely use it. But that's Clifton Duncan online. And I also have a Substack, <laughs> which everyone does now, um, called Musings from the Apocalypse, which I update once every like 17 months. But um, you know, so you so you can find me in uh, all those places and uh, say say hi as as a, as much of a of a, a dick as I may seem on Twitter, uh, I'm actually pretty pretty nice and approachable. So, and I I, I now want to see this this clip of you singing. Where, where do I find that? Um, it's my most recent video. It's on my YouTube channel. I mean, I can send you a link um, just privately if you'd like. Um, but yeah, it's it's this. I'll, nearly I'll, was... I'll post it below this as well. Um, oh great, great! You know, I've been banned from YouTube for for wrong thing. It's really annoying. Oh, you know, well, they're also the same people that were banning people for talking about vitamin C and vitamin D at the beginning yeah, yeah. of the, of the pandemic. I mean, these people have no idea what they're doing or what they're talking well, about. They do. They do. They well, know exactly yes, you're what right. they're doing. You're right. You're right. You're right. <laughs> they, they want to kill us all. That, that, when you realize that, that's beyond next level of enlightenment. You know, they're going to kill us all. Then you'll find God and then it, it, it'll be complete. <laughs> well, there you go. There you go. Oh, Clifton, I've so enjoyed talking to you. I'm, I'm glad we could, we, could, we could find a space. I know I'm quite sketchy about organizing these things. Um, by the way, um, viewers and listeners, really, thanks a lot for your support. Um, keep, keep, keep supporting me because people like Clifton and, and, and I, the establishment, the powers that be do not want us to make a living. They want to destroy us. And I know that all sorts of obstacles are put in your way when you try and fund me. Uh, but do try, if you can, you know, be determined, you know, locals, subscribe star, Substack, Patreon, one of those you'll find a way through that will accept your payments. And I really appreciate it. Uh, Clifton, thanks a lot again. And, and good luck with your with your new career. I, I think I think you've done the right thing. And it's really nice not being owned by the man. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it's not the first time in my life I've been um, booted out of one machine only to uh to find greener pastures so um you know i i appreciate your support and it's been uh, a great pleasure james and uh, thanks for having me on i really appreciate it oh one more thing um yes. in your journey through the russians because i guess I, i'm i'm also going a journey through the russian literature at the moment what, what's what's your your standout favorite at the moment 
Um, well, I mean, my, one of my favorite playwrights is, is Anton Chekhov. He's, he always has been, you know, so that, that's sort of a stalwart right there. Um, I just, he had such a keen understanding of, of human beings, um, that, you know, as an actor, it's a joy to work on. He's one of the few writers where he allows his characters to be as complex as we are as human beings. He's a, geni a genius writer. Um, I got through the first part and it's so funny, right? I got through the first part of crime and punishment, not knowing anything about the plot. And by the yeah. time I got to the end, I was like, wow, <laughs> that's a concern. I, I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> I, I agree. I, yeah, somebody yeah. told me about crime and punishment and I thought, well, I don't really want to read this because, because like, so he kills, he kills two innocent women and then presumably gets caught. I mean, like he's a psycho. What, what, why would I want to read this book? But it's just great, isn't it? It's just, it's riveting. It's, it's so riveting and it's so rich and so, and so deep. And that's, and that's the thing, you know, when you, when you live in a culture where we're, we're trying to decolonize everything and cancel all these old authors for being rich, you know, white, you know, not, not even Europeans in this case, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, you're, you're robbing yourself of experiencing these, these great, great works that just, um, they, they expand your understanding of not only of humanity, but also of yourself and they enrich your experience. And it's just, it just, it just, it just makes life. It's one of the things that makes life worth living encountering these texts. You know, it's just, um, it's just, uh, it's a gift that, that these people are left, that these, that these people are left behind. And I will say in closing that, uh, I spoke to, um, Ignat Solzhenitsyn, the son of Alexander Solzhenitsyn. Oh, yeah. And he, he said something that really left a chill down my spine, which was that you know, cause I asked him like, why is it that, that the Russians, you know, whether it's opera or ballet or, or the theater or, you know, or literature, poetry, you know, they have this, this great, rich, um, artistic tradition. Why is that? And, um, and you know, and then how is it destroyed? And he said, you know, in the wake of the 20th century and Stalinism, he said, in his opinion, it's never been recovered. Um, it, the, the Russian arts have never recovered from the damage done by, um, totalitarianism and so you would wish that more artists were more forward thinking and can see that and um that's where i'm like oof more people need to speak up and say something because i don't want to go down that 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 route yeah we could go that way too yeah you're right i think uh, russian culture was systematically destroyed by the same people by the same forces which are now trying to destroy the west exactly it's, it's, it's one and the same exactly they hate us well, thanks a lot, Clifton. Uh, have an enjoyable rest of Sunday and, and great to meet you. Likewise, James. You too, man. Take care. Thanks a lot. <laughs>